0: This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Network original program.
1: Defending our faith is certainly an important part of the spiritual battle we all engage in daily. We may not be on the front lines of apologetic jousting, but it is important that we be able to explain our faith when asked. As you've heard me say many times, I'm a simple man with a simple theology based in divine mercy. So when I have a question, one source I always check out is thecatholictruth.com. Founded by my guest, Brian Mercier. Brian, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's really good to have you, Brian. I, you know, this show here is not a show that's based in deep theology, and, and I always try to get you know the best guests that I can. So when it comes to defending the faith, I'm going to a guy that I met a couple of times at the Connecticut Catholic Men's Conference, Brian Mercier. Brian, you are the founder of catholictruth.com. Did I get that right?
2: Uh, yes, Catholic Truth is the organization, and the website is org. Brian, my question to you is,
1: and this is a very, very broad question, how do we defend the faith today?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is a very broad question. Um, well, first of all, in order to defend it, you need two things. Number one, you need to know your faith. You need to understand it. You need to have studied it. I mean, you can't give what you don't have. Mm -hmm. So I was giving a confirmation retreat, a four hour confirmation retreat this past weekend. And I told the kids, uh, you know, how many of you believe in God? And they, most of them raised their hands. And I said, I'm an atheist. And if I'm an atheist, I want to know, how do you know guys, how do you guys know God exists? Prove to me as an atheist that God exists. If I say that to you, what would you say? And they all just looked blankly at each other and they had no, so I said, you can't, Prove your faith. You can't tell me as an atheist why I should believe in God. And they said, "Well, the Bible." And I said, "Well, how do you know somebody didn't make up the Bible?" You know, I was like, "That book's really old." You know, and they're like, "I don't know." So the bottom line is, they don't know how to explain or defend their faith because they've never studied it. They've never looked up the answers. They've only heard it. You know, they're going through the motions many times. They've they might even go to church, but no one really teaches us to be able to defend our faith. So that you know, can be done many ways. Number one, uh, watching YouTube videos like on our Catholic Truth YouTube uh, or other YouTube videos, um, reading books, lots of books on the Catholic faith, church history, the Bible, the catechism and things like that. Even uh, following good Catholic social media like uh, Instagram or TikTok where people will teach you the faith in little bite-sized clips. So you can, all of these things will help you to learn your faith, but you can't defend it if you don't know it. Uh, And then the second thing on that is you need to have a good uh, prayer life. You need to actually know God. You need to love God. You need to have a deep relationship with God. Again, you can't give what you don't have. If you don't have a good relationship with Jesus, then you're just giving textbook facts. You're not actually sharing the Lord Jesus with anyone. And we, quite frankly, we are a window. Our souls are windows. And Jesus shines through us to the world and he can change the world through us but if our windows are extremely filthy because we don't go to confession and we don't really have a prayer life we might you know give god a few minutes before bed but the reality is jesus said to love me with all of your mind heart soul and strength not to give me your leftovers if you have time at the end of the day so the the bottom line is that we actually need to know our faith and we need to love our faith and we need to know and love jesus christ and those two things will really help us to start being able to defend the faith. And then the third and final thing is to practice it. After you have a good relationship with Jesus, you're praying, you're, you're receiving the sacraments, you're studying your faith, then you have to put it into practice. You know, maybe online you, you find some people and you try to explain the faith to them, you fail, you succeed, you fail again, you try again. Or in person, if you hear someone say something, you can say, hey, why do you believe that? And you just start a conversation with them. And at the beginning, you're not going to know too much. You might not even be able to defend your faith too well, but you keep trying and you grow and you become more proficient. Those are the mm-hmm. three things I would say you need to defend the faith.
1: You know, Brian, I know you're you're a really busy guy. In fact, this is going to be a really short show because you are so busy and, and we appreciate the time that you can spend with us. When I was 17 years old, I joined the military, and I, I got involved with a Pentecostal church. And there was a lot of things that I couldn't defend my faith. I didn't know my faith well enough to say, and I didn't have the resolve within myself to, to believe that the Catholic Church was the one true church. You, now, you talk about educating yourself. What's a good point of, of beginning for someone to, to, to begin to learn the faith?
2: Well, to learn about, uh, I, well, there's a lot of places people could learn, but you know, I wrote a book called Why Do You Believe in God? And it's actually 15 conversations with atheists, skeptics, non-believers, people who have left the church and people who have questions. So you you actually get to hear both sides, what they say and what we say, what they say, what I say. And you get to hear not only how to defend the faith, you know, and what I say, but how to go about doing it. Mm -hmm. So I I would say that's a good place to start for a lot of people, uh, especially for the basics. How do we know God exists? How do we know Jesus exists? How do we, I mean, how do we know Jesus is any better than Buddha or Confucius or Socrates or any other leader? And how do we know the Catholic church is true? But what about the Crusades? What about sexual abuse? And it really brings up a lot of the objections people have and the conversations I've had thousands of times over. And People can read that book. I've had teenagers read that book three, four, five times because they want to memorize the arguments because it, they said it helps them to defend the faith. But there's a lot of good books. In fact, on my YouTube channel, I have a series of videos called uh, The Best Books to Learn Your Faith as a Beginner. And then the next video is The Best Books to Defend Your Faith, The Best Apologetics Books. Mm-hmm. I have another video called, the you know, so I, basically I have a series where people can take these books and read them. Um also maybe start reading the New Testament. I mean, if you want to know Jesus and you want to know the church that he started, you want to know the truth, start with the word of God. Start reading in the book of Matthew. Even just one chapter a day. It took me all summer when I first did it for the first time. I read one chapter a day throughout the summer and by the end I had read the entire New Testament. I had tripled my knowledge of how much I knew of Jesus and his church. But then it led to a lot of other questions as well. So I had to go look those up, study more and it kind of became an Almost like a, an addiction in my life, but you know, I wouldn't use that word. It was more like a thirst. I couldn't get enough. Like all my answers that nobody was answering in my life. I had so many questions and nobody could give me good answers. And I was starting to find them. And the more I found them, the more I made sense. And the more I could see the puzzle pieces being put in place and the more I could see the whole picture forming. And so I just kept studying and studying and studying. So, you know, I would say Definitely, definitely start with my Catholic Truth YouTube, and we we have whole videos on how do you know the Catholic Church is true versus any other church. You know, why do we pray to Mary? Why do we go to confession to a priest? Uh, how do we know Peter was the first pope? What about the Crusades? Like all of these different questions that people have, you can find them there.
1: Well, I can witness to how valuable those videos are. I am one of the, the subscribers and listeners to to your stuff. That's why I wanted to have you here. There's just a, a wealth of Of knowledge that that you 've put into that to your YouTube stuff and into your
2: podcast, yeah, and let me just th- throw in real quick if you don 't mind me uh jumping in no, you know I-, I started like three years ago, I think I had like four four hundred subscribers, and i couldn't get any more than that. It was kind of embarrassing, you know, and then you know I really worked hard for one year and we went from four hundred to six thousand in a year, and then we went from six thousand to fourteen thousand and now we 're over thirty five thousand. And by next year, we'll probably be almost at 75,000 a year after that, 150,000 if the growth continues. So we're exploding in popularity because people are coming to our channel and they're saying, you know what, this is explained so well, so simply, you're on fire. We love what you have to say. And so they keep coming back to our channel over and over and over again. They love the videos we put out almost weekly sometimes almost daily, we have Protestants, atheists, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses saying that Mm -hmm. they're coming into the Catholic Church because of our ministry, because of what we do and Mm -hmm. how we explain the faith and it makes sense to them. And then, you know, almost every day we have people saying, you know what, I was going to leave the Catholic Church, but I'm not going to because, you know, you helped me to understand my faith and I love Jesus more than ever. And so, we're really helping to train people, equip people, inspire people to know, love, and live their faith with purpose and passion. And I really think our videos do that in our podcasts.
1: What I like about your videos is you is you've gone and you've you've taken like say the Mormons, the uh, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and, and you've you've given arguments, apologetics to uh, each of the each of those different denominations, which is is great.
2: Yeah. And we've actually, in the last year or so, we've started at what we call debunking videos. So we'll find videos that are anti-Catholic where we took one, for example, where someone said that they it's the seven reasons why the Catholic Church is evil. And another one was 10 reasons why I left the Catholic Church. Another one was seven reasons I left the Catholic Church. So I go through these videos and I show the clips of the people who left and what they say, and then I answer them. And I teach Catholics how to answer their faith and defend their faith and explain their faith so yeah we have tons of videos on mormons Christians, witnesses protestants catholics everything but we also have a lot of cool debunking videos which a lot of people like and uh it shows them exactly really the attacks that they hear online all the time and how to defend them do you do any uh, videos
1: on prayer because you, you mentioned prayer is an important part of knowing jesus
2: Yeah, absolutely. We have an entire playlist called Catholic Truth Spirituality, I think, or maybe it's Catholic Truth Prayer and Spirituality. And we have a whole bunch of videos on how to know God deeper, how to make your prayer work. I mean, so many people pray the same way since they've been a kid. They just ask God for things, thank God for things, pray for other people. But they never. no one's ever really taught us to come to know God on a deeper level, on a personal, profound level. So I really, I mean, we have a 12 part prayer series called uh, Prayer Works, and it teaches people how to come so close to God, how to hear God speak, you know, what does that sound like, how to overcome the obstacles of the spiritual life. We only have the first six or seven um, on uh, YouTube, and then they can buy the whole set on our website, thecatholictruth.org. But Yeah, we have a ton of videos on prayer and even how to overcome guilt and scrupulosity and thinking that God hates us if we mortal sin or God hates us if we sin continually. I promise God I wouldn't sin again and I keep doing it. He must be mad at me. And I really try to get over those scrupulosities of the mind that really keep people from Jesus and drive a wedge in between them. I mean, it's the devil's biggest lie. And so, you know, we have a lot of videos on spirituality just in general
1: that brings me to a point. You, you talked about um, the scrupulosity. Are the, are the principles of defending the faith against other people and, and other uh, doctrines, is it the same as defending it within yourself? And what I mean by that is the devil will have us scrupulous and begin to second guess our faith. Are, are the same uh, beliefs that you have for uh, defending it from outside, do they work internally as well?
2: I mean, in some ways, yes, for sure. I mean, we have to have a strong prayer life for both. And we have to have a strong mind for both. I mean, we need to know that the things we believe are true. And the more you believe that and the more you know they're true, you know, the less the devil's going to be able to have a hold on you. And the closer you are to God, the more you pray, receive the sacraments and uh, read the Bible, that sort of thing. The more you do deeds of light and aspects of uh, spirituality, the more... I should say the less darkness has a hold on you, the less the devil can play with your mind. So, yeah, I mean, we have to go on the offensive sometimes uh, with the devil, not just, you know, against other religions, but we have to protect ourselves against him too. And so I'm actually writing a book. I'm writing like five books, but one of my books is called, well, this probably won't be the final title, but it's currently called How to Successfully Brainwash Yourself. And uh, (laughs) because basically from the time we're a little kid's, We're brainwashed with lies and we're brainwashed that we're not good enough, that we're not pretty enough, that we can't do uh, enough, that God's not happy with us unless you're perfect, Mm -hmm. you know, and all of these other lies. And so we have to reprogram or re-brainwash ourselves, reprogram our minds with the truth. And so that's where we go on the offensive. And so I have a lot of different prayers in the book where you just repeat the truth over and over again. You know what? I know God loves me. I know I'm his child. I know that even if I sin, he doesn't love me less. So for people who have a hard time believing this stuff, when you repeat it over and over and over and over and over again, you start to reform your mind with the truth. And I remember this girl, she was getting married and she was, you know, thinking that God was mad at her and God, you know, the struggles of the mind and he didn't want her to get married. And so I gave her some of these prayers I made up and I had her pray it every day, many times a day. And I remember on her wedding day, she just gave me the biggest smile and she pointed at me and just looked deep in my eyes like, yep, it worked. Thank you so much. And so uh, we really need to stop letting the devil, you know, boss us around all the time and tell us that. And we need to start taking it back and knowing God's love for us.
1: I have to be honest with you, all day today, I was kind of feeling some bits of depression uh the the topic of this uh this podcast i think you know the show I, it was uh i think it was really ticking the devil off I, I i felt under attack all day long so i i appreciate what you did for that girl i i mean that it's it's tough when you when you've got that oppression
2: that that's that's oh absolutely um, i've even talked to protestants who you know who come to me and say you know what i just I keep, I have an addiction, you know, or I keep failing and I keep saying, I'm going to get better. I'm going to, you know, fix my addiction. I'm going to fix my problem. And I just can't, I just can't, you know, and they can't approach God and they run away from God. And they think God's drilling a hole through their soul with his eyes, you know, and he's holding them over hell and all of this other thing. And, you know, I said, you know, that's not God, you know, Romans chapter five in the Bible says that when we are at our worst, our worst, God came to die for us in Jesus Christ. He didn't come for us when we were good. He didn't come for us when we had it all together. He didn't come for us, you know, when everything was perfect. He came for us when we were spitting in his face and giving him the finger. He came for us when we were choosing the devil over him. He said, I love you more than ever. And I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to die for you. And so I tell the people these things. And I say, you know what? A lot of people think God is like this slave driver. If you give him a whip, he's going to whip you and he's going to tell you what a sinner you are. But the reality is he became so humble, and he allowed us to whip him. He allowed humans to whip the king of kings. That's crazy. And instead of giving us a crown of fear, he allowed us to give him a crown of thorns. And he allowed us to beat and kill him to show us How much he loves us, that he's not this big, bad, evil God, that he's actually became smaller than us, more humble than us, poorer than us in order to raise us up higher than heaven and earth. I often say that when a man was was to sacrifice
1: his son, an angel came and said, stop. When it came time to sacrifice God's son, we said, crucify him. Mm. God's ways are not our ways. And it's amazing how, you know, what you just said. And I, and I love that, man. It's, it's so true. And, and, and it speaks to the message of divine mercy. God is always there for us, He always wants us to, to come back to Him. He loves us. There is no sin that, that can't be forgiven. So if there's anybody out there that, that, that believes that they can't be forgiven, please listen to the words that Brian is saying. They are 100% true.
2: Yeah. And moreover, I would say that uh, Father uh, Dubay, he actually gives a retreat and he wrote a whole book called I Believe in Love, which is one of my top three favorite spiritual books uh, ever. And it really helps to reform uh, your image of God and helps you to know who he is and how loving he is and how to trust him and that sort of thing. And one of the things he says in the book is that if the devil tricks you and convinces you to fall 100 times a day, God is not going to get tired of picking you up, forgiving you, and dusting you off 150 times a day because the devil is not stronger than God. God will not be outdone in generosity. God will not be outdone in perfection. God will not be outdone in mercy, love, kindness, or anything else. He will always outdo the devil, and he will always receive us if we come to him humbly seeking him.
1: Very, very well put, my friend. You do a lot of retreats for young kids. Do you do adult retreats as well, don't you?
2: Yes, we do yeah, I do both.
1: What are some of the major themes of of the
2: uh retreats that you're doing? Well, you know, it really depends, you know, for kids it's pretty much you know, mostly the same. You know, I try to talk to them about how do we know God exists? And I try to answer a lot of their questions, a lot of their doubts and skepticism, which really is our culture today. Mm -hmm. And Mm then once we have a firm basis of faith, then I talk about, okay, well, who is God? And I talk about the story of salvation and how Jesus came to die for us and how without Jesus, you can't get to heaven. Because, you know, you might think you're a good person. You might think that Your good outweighs your bad. But the reality is heaven is perfect. So if you're going to get there by yourself, you have to be perfect, meaning you can never sin. But the reality is we sin a lot. And so we need someone to help us with that problem. So that's why Jesus came to die for us and to take our sin on the cross. And he, we gave him our sins and he gave us his salvation. So you know, then I go into the Eucharist and I talk about the power of the Eucharist, the power of Jesus's love in the Eucharist. And then we end all of our youth retreats with Eucharistic adoration. Uh, sometimes I also talk about confirmation, the power of the Holy Spirit, how to live out your faith, how to live for God every day, because that's very important. And then for adults, it really depends. I mean, I, I, I'm going to be speaking, um, I speak on apologetics a lot. I speak on spirituality, I speak on Mary, the rosary, the Eucharist, uh, really just depends. I'm going to be speaking at the Women's Conference. I just got invited to speak at the Massachusetts uh, Women's Conference in October. So I think I'll be giving a talk on um, Mary and the rosary or or something like that.
1: Hmm.
2: You uh, were a great speaker when
1: uh, I saw you at the, uh, the Connecticut Catholic Men's Conference, and you, you emceed it one year, and you were fantastic at that. Brian, I, I just want to switch gears real quick. Um you recently were uh, I'm not sure if if you were on Michael Lofton's show or if if he was on yours but you talked about the Latin Mass. Now there's such controversy right now with with the you know the whole thing that came out from from Pope Francis. And a lot of the traditional Catholics are re- very upset about this. Where does the the new mass and the traditional Catholic mass where where, where do we stand with that and as far as defending the faith, is the the new mass is it in your opinion is it as valid as the other uh, the traditional mass?
2: Well, my opinion doesn't matter really. It's yeah. really the church's <laughs> opinion. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But it's the church's opinion that matters, and yeah. the church says that they're both equally valid. Now that doesn't mean they're both celebrated equally or they both you know have the same reverence because they don't. You know, the Latin mass is you know, oftentimes, not always, but quite superior with reverence and transcendence and leading a person into, you know, coming to know God on a deeper level. But both are equally valid, the church says. Um, And I think it's important to say that, you know, there are many Novus Ordo masses, the new masses, the ones in English, that are really equally reverently celebrated. I mean, I go to a mass, according to Vatican II, The Mass is not what it is today. The Mass today is not what Vatican II wanted. So the new Mass that we have today is not even close to what the Catholic Church wanted. It was changed. It was abused in many ways, and it's been watered down in many ways, unfortunately. And I think, you know, some people just like to scrap it, but the reality is we just need to reform it, to bring back reverence, to bring back, I think, personally, kneeling for the Eucharist and, you know altar rails, and just anything that's going to bring back people to understand what they're celebrating. But I uh, go to a Catholic church in Connecticut here, and I go a couple days a week, and it's half in English, half in Latin. They have Latin chants, uh, but the rest of the Mass is in English. Uh, The priest faces the tabernacle. Uh, He's super reverent. Uh, there's kneeling for the, uh, the Eucharist. Sometimes there's incense. Now, this is a new Mass. It's a Novus Ordo Mass. Some might think it's a Latin Mass, but it's not. It's the way the Mass was supposed to be according to Vatican II. And so it's extremely reverent. And, you know, you can still understand it. (laughs) You know, it's in English. Um, so I think that's important to know that both are valid. And we enter a very, grave danger zone when we start saying things that the Catholic Church herself does not say, when we start teaching things that the Church herself does not teach, and we take it upon ourselves to say that the Church is wrong. You know, oh, well, the Church is wrong about the Mass. The Church is wrong about Vatican II. Well, if the Church is wrong, then Jesus is a liar because he's the one who said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's the one who said in Matthew twenty eight nineteen that he would be with the church until the end of time. And in John 16, that he would give the Holy Spirit to the church to guide it into all truth. So the Catholic Church, built on the Rock of Peter, 264 uh, popes later, is still operating, still has that authority. And Vatican II is an authoritative teaching, uh, an authoritative council of the Catholic Church. That's a, it's a tough subject right now. Let me let me add one thing. I don't necessarily if you want my opinion, my opinion is I don't agree with what Pope Francis is doing. I personally think that we should have, you know, our ancient tradition of the Latin rite, which is fine. I mean, it's very interesting that there's 23 rites in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And the Pope Francis is only editing one of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that and I don't know fully why, but I think in part one of the reasons is because that right and that right alone, as far as I know, is really just militants against the Pope, speaking out against the Pope, slandering the Pope, Mm -hmm. hating the Pope, saying he's not a real Pope. I mean, they're they're causing a lot of division and scandal and other problems in the Church. The way to fight, uh, you know, problems in the Church or you know false teachings is not to become a schismatic yourself. It's not to think you know better than the church. You know, we need to take lessons from the saints, like St. Francis de Sales, who converted 60,000 Protestants back to the Catholic Church, not by yelling and screaming and calling them heretics. In fact, he said, you must be so loving, kind, and patient with other religions when you talk to them. And he brought 60,000 back to the Catholic Church because of his holiness of life his uh, prayer life and his great arguments. And uh, St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, you know, I feel, I I feel like today a lot of people are becoming like Luther, you know, they get angry at the church and they start Mm -hmm. butting their heads with the church and they start venting their, you know, volatile nature uh, toward the church. And that's what Luther did. And we got to be careful of that. We need to go to the way of the saints, which is not, as much yelling and far more prayer and far more fasting because then we're cleaning our windows and that's when Jesus can shine through us more and change the world through us. Absolutely.
1: Um, We are going to be having, we're working right now to have an author of of, uh, from Tan books is going to be coming on as a, and he's very much into the traditional Latin mass. We're going to talk more with him about that, but Brian, I know that you got to run. I thank you so much for, for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know how busy you are, my friend. That's the end of part one. Before we continue on with a talk given by Father Larry Burrell, I want to take a minute to ask you to go to www.castingthe.net and sign up for our Along the Way newsletter. Find out when new episodes are released, upcoming guests, and what I'm reading. All you have to do is go to www.castingthe.net to sign up. Now... Talking about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist is Father Larry Burrell.
0: Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. This quote did not originate with C.S. Lewis, but he popularized it back in the 40s. And you and I must decide which of these statements is true. Good afternoon, everyone. It's my honor and privilege to be speaking to all of you on the topic of the real presence of Jesus in the Most Blessed Sacrament. Pew Research conducted a poll in 2019 in which only one-third of all Catholics believe in the Church's teaching on transubstantiation. For those who attend Mass on a weekly basis, the number goes up to 60%, 6 in 10 Catholics who believe in transubstantiation. Transubstantiation is simply the philosophical term adopted by the church to describe the essence or substance of ordinary bread and ordinary wine that changes into an entirely new substance, a new reality, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, in which only the accidents of the original substance remain, that is, it still looks like ordinary bread and ordinary wine. It still tastes like ordinary bread and ordinary wine, but in reality, it is no longer bread, it is no longer wine. Jesus is truly present in a real and mystical way. This reality, this substantial change, is the direct opposite of what you and I experience in our own nature or essence. We experience in ourselves accidental changes constantly whiter hair, more wrinkles, larger waistlines, etc. But the essence or the substance of what we are always remains the same. What we are does not change. It is my hope that this talk will shed light on the real presence from a different perspective other than a philosophical one with the understanding that the real presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is such a profound mystery of the Catholic Church that none of us can ever fully plumb the depths. A mystery of faith, by the way, does not mean that we can't know anything about divine truth. It just means that we can't know everything about divine truth. That's the distinction. We have to wonder if a Pew Research poll was conducted immediately after the crucifixion of Jesus, what would those poll numbers show? I imagine not very high. Yet despite the advantage of 2,000 years of sacramental theology and living a faith through the wisdom and insights of many great theologians such as Augustine, Aquinas, and in our contemporary times, J.P. II and Benedict XVI, there is still doubt among a good number of Catholics when it comes to believing in the real presence. Why is that? Why when it comes to believing the mysteries of our faith, the things about God, it can be a challenge for any of us? When Bertrand Russell, noted philosopher and atheist, was on his deathbed, he was asked, Bertie, you are at the end of your life. Don't you think you should make amends? What will you say to God if he does exist? Bertrand responded, and I paraphrase, well, since you do exist, God, why didn't you provide us with more evidence of it? When it comes to believing in the real presence of the Eucharist, there are many who might ask the very same question. Blaise Pascal said God gives us just enough evidence to convince those who seek him and want him but not enough evidence to compel those who don't. God respects our freedom, freedom to doubt and freedom to believe but God does give us evidence through creation and through salvation history. He gives us unmerited grace as gift to believe and by nature endows us with intellect and free will to decide to believe or not to believe. This isn't to say that there aren't obstacles to faith, but with every obstacle that we face, we have choices. We can either go around, go over, or go back. But the choice is ultimately ours to make. In regard to evidence through salvation history, we can start with the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God makes a covenant with his chosen people, the Israelites. Whenever the covenant was broken through sin, reparation was made through the sacrifice of a bull, lamb, or goat, or another acceptable animal. The sacrifice was completed when the Levitical priests consumed the roasted flesh. Exodus 24, 5-8 The sons of Israel offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it on in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then Moses took the book of the covenant, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made in accordance with all these words. The covenants of old were made and sealed in the blood of sacrificial animals a foreshadowing of the blood of the new and eternal covenant sealed in the blood of Christ in the New Testament. When the Israelites were still in captivity, Moses commanded the Israelites to procure and slaughter a Passover lamb, apply some of its blood to the lintel and the 2 doorposts. The destroying angel, upon seeing the blood of the slain lamb, will pass over your houses in order to complete Moses' instructions the Israelites were to consume the flesh of the slain lamb. When the Israelites were free from the Egyptian overlords and wandering in the desert, they complained to Moses that they were starving, even going so far as to say that they had it better as captives in Egypt. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we ate bread until we were full, they grumbled. In the New Testament, Jesus reminds the Jewish people in John 6, 32, that it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread that comes down from heaven gives life to the world. Upon hearing this, the Jews responded, Lord, always give us this bread. Quite a different response from their Jewish ancestors in the desert who grumbled. The key difference is that their Jewish ancestors were looking for food that provided only natural sustenance. The Jews of Jesus' time was greatly intrigued by the idea of food that gives life to the world as spiritual sustenance. Jesus says to them, as he says to all of us, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from out of heaven so that anyone may eat it and not die. Jesus continues, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give for the world is also my flesh. Those who heard Jesus say this began to argue. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Does Jesus walk back his comments? No. Jesus doubles down. Truly, 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 Jesus says truly twice for double emphasis. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Remember, in the Old Testament, the sacrifice wasn't complete until the flesh of the sacrifice was consumed. In the holy sacrifice of the Mass, Jesus is both priest and victim, and the sacrifice is not complete until the priest and then all the members of the community consume our Eucharistic Lord. Just to be clear, Jesus isn't speaking of a lack of natural life. Jesus is speaking of a lack of supernatural life. We have no supernatural life unless we eat his flesh and drink his blood. Jesus puts a finer point on his earlier words. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus promises eternal life to anyone who feeds upon his flesh and drinks his blood. For many at that time, they couldn't accept what Jesus was telling them. In our own time, many today can't accept what Jesus is saying to all of us. What happened to those first disciples? Scripture tells us, many walked away. Jesus turns to the twelve as he turns to you and me. Do you... You do not want to leave also, do you? Simon Peter, filled with God's grace, responds to Jesus in faith. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. Jesus does have the words of eternal life. Jesus not only has the words, he is the word. The eternal word made flesh. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord and you and I must decide which of these three statements is true. At the Last Supper, which would have been a Jewish Seder meal to celebrate Passover, Jesus doesn't say, take, eat, this is the bread of affliction that your ancestors ate before they left Egypt, which is the exact wording from the Jewish ritual manual called the Haggadah. Rather, Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body. Jesus didn't say, this represents my body, nor did he say, this symbolizes my body. There is a Greek word for the word represents, but that word is never used in the original Greek translation. The Greek word that is used is estes, which means is. We won't go to the odd statement of a former president who said, it depends on what your meaning of the word is, is. (laughs) Estes, this is my body, this is the cup of my blood, the cup of the new and eternal covenant. The foreshadowing of the Passover lamb in the Old Testament is now fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ as God's lamb, whose life is given up on the torturous cross for the salvation of the world. This slain lamb, the blood of Jesus, is not splashed on a wooden lintel or wooden doorpost, Rather, it is poured out on a wooden cross beam and wooden fulcrum. And now it is no longer a destroying angel who passes over and spares natural life. It is Jesus himself, the new Passover, who gives supernatural life. Jesus gives you and me eternal life. If we have the eyes of faith to believe that Jesus is truly present, if we believe that what Jesus tells you and me is the truth, if anyone listening right now is having trouble overcoming any doubt about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, you're in good company. St. Thomas had great difficulty overcoming his own doubt about the real presence of Jesus as well, albeit a different mode of real presence. This in spite of the testimony of at least 11 other witnesses who said, we have seen the Lord. How does Thomas respond To the account of these credible eyewitnesses unless i place my fingers in the nail marks in his hand and place my hand in his side i will not believe i will not believe jesus says to thomas as he says to all of us do not doubt any longer but believe blessed are those who did not see and yet believe i began the substance of this talk speaking of a meal and I would like to conclude with one. This one is from the account from the road to Emmaus. Two disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus and were utterly dejected over the crucifixion of Jesus. As they were talking, Jesus begins begins walking with them, but they don't recognize him. And when it was getting late in the day and nightfall was near, the two disciples extend customary Jewish hospitality and ask this unknown stranger to stay and dine with them. And when Jesus does, reclines at table, he takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. And then, and then their eyes are opened and they recognize him. They recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread. Were not our hearts burning, they exclaim to one another. Brothers, may our Eucharistic Lord burn within our hearts every time we receive him in Holy Communion. May we see with the eyes of faith the real presence of Jesus in in the blessed sacrament. May we take to heart the words Jesus says to Thomas and make them our own. Do not doubt any longer, but believe. Blessed are those who did not see and yet believe. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. And you and I must decide which of these three statements is true. God bless you, everyone
1: my guest Brian Mercier, my producer David Imhoff, and special thanks to Father Larry Burrow. I'm down the hall day, praying that your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. We'll see you next time.